Manila Chan. You are tuned into Modus Operandi. As the conflict in Ukraine continues and the debate about supplying arms to the Kiev regime rages on, we'll take a look at what sorts of weapons the collective West is contending with. While the U.S. boasts itself as the supreme military in the world and the main supplier of arms to Ukraine, does its arsenal actually stack up in terms of modern capabilities? We'll talk to a retired Russian naval engineer who breaks down exactly what these modern missiles can do. All right, let's get into the MO. You may have heard the stories about the ghost of Kiev or the myth of Snake Island early on in the Ukraine conflict. By now, you probably know they were fake news. There was never a Ukrainian Top Gun fighter pilot who took down dozens of Russian jets. The soldiers on Snake Island never cursed out the Russian military before being blown up. In fact, they were actually captured safely and then arrested. The story of martyrdom never happened. The more recent stories, however, are ones that defy the laws of physics. They're tales of tech versus tech missile capabilities and advanced arsenals. Since Ukraine is not a manufacturer of these products, simply the end user, today's fairy tales are that of Russian military technology versus those from the US, UK, France, and Germany. Now, to be perfectly honest, I am certainly no arms expert, much less have the science background to explain how these things work. So we will bring in a man who is an expert with the proper technological training in their development. Andrei Martinov is a retired Russian Navy engineer. He's got advanced degrees in engineering such weapons. Nowadays, Andrei is a writer and analyst. His latest book called Losing Military Supremacy, The Myopia of American Strategic Planning, uh, and you can see more of his musings on his blog at smoothiex12.blogspot.com. Andre, thank you so much for joining us today. So first, I got to ask you, for these people paying close attention to the news on the conflict in Ukraine, uh, we're hearing many different types of missiles are being used. Can you give us a brief, no pun intended, crash course? on the differences between some of these missile systems, such as you know cruise missiles, glide bombs, uh, ballistic missiles, and especially the new hypersonic missile systems? Um, let's start from the end here. Let's start with the hypersonics, because there is a lot of confusion uh, about this uh, uh, situation, especially in the West. Uh, hypersonic missile is the missile which flies, or for that matter, aircraft, which flies with the speed above Mach 5. That means uh, five speeds of the sound. But here is the problem, and this has been the problem for many years now since uh, Russia announced the deployment of the operational uh, hypersonic weapons. For example, ballistic missile, for intercontinental ballistic missile, is the missile which flies with many more speeds of uh, sound. For example, Mach 27. And this, by definition, makes it supersonic, except one thing. Those missiles, like intercontinental ballistic missiles, even if they fly by the suppressed trajectory, they still fly above the uh, uh, Earth atmosphere. And in this case, it's kind of moot point if they have so many speeds of sound because they fly part of their trajectory actually in the open space. 
The space, as we know, approximately starts at the uh, elevation of 100 kilometers from the face of the Earth. And but what modern hypersonic missiles are are the missiles which fly within Earth atmosphere, exceeding the speed of sound by five and more times. Russia is the only country which possesses and deploys and actually uses to a devastating effect uh, full spectrum of the uh, hypersonic missiles. For example, one of those missiles is the Kinjal missile, which is known as aeroballistic missile. It is missile which flies in quasi-ballistic trajectory. That means that part of its flight, pretty much as any ballistic missile, it also flies under the powered flight being powered by its engine. Then the engine shuts off and a missile, as you know, basic physics tells us, begins to fly uh, as a ballistic missile, ballistic projectile. Another matter, they are so advanced that they can maneuver throughout all of its trajectory, including especially to the approach of the target. And uh, they fly with the velocities, uh, officially can draw velocities between Mach 9 and 10, now we're beginning to have the feedback that actually it can fly within Mach 13. The, those are not interceptable, but Kinshal, despite the fact that it's still being maneuverable, doesn't conduct all of its flight under its own power. However, 3M22 Zircon missile, which most of the modern Russian ships carry, this is a fully blown cruise missile. This is not ballistic or quasi-ballistic or aeroballistic missile like in JAL, which is launched from the aircraft. That missile, like 3M2 Zircon, it's a, a genuine anti-shipping and land attack cruise missile because it flies all of its flight path under its own power using scramjet, which constantly powers it. And while it hits the target, it still operates under its own power. The velocity of the Zircon officially is around Mach 9 to also Mach 10. And the new version of Zircon, which is coming up, will probably be uh, in excess of Mach 13. And uh, that's the type of hypersonic weapons we are talking about. And uh, there is the last, so to speak, facet of those hypersonic missiles is, of course, strategic uh, hypersonic uh, uh, gliding blocks called avant-garde, two regiments of this uh, um, avant-garde missile blocks driven by the one of the uh, Russian, uh, used to be the strategic missile system carrying regular ballistic uh, heads uh, like MIRV, multiple independent re-entry vehicles. Now those Stiliat missiles, they're merely carriers of the avant-garde blocks, which have their speed in excess of Mach 27, and they fly by basically gliding uh, over the uh, uh, Earth atmosphere, and they are also maneuverable. All three types of those missiles, they are controllable from the Earth. And these are hypersonic missiles. The rest of it, uh, classic uh, cruise missiles, you can see one of them is, which is, of course, uh, American-made BGM-109, CLAM, uh, 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 tactical land attack missile, Tomahawk. Uh, Russians have the variety of those missiles. They are subsonic, like 3M14, which is famous caliber. While uh, uh, Russia is also deploying high supersonic, which fly under the speed of uh, um, 
hypersonic missiles, but still high supersonic speeds. And these are Mach 2.5 uh, missiles, such as P-800 Onyx. And these are cruise missiles, and uh, they vary in range and in their capability, and uh, in terms of the targets they are selected for. So I think so. That's pretty much. Uh, of course, yeah. If we go back to ballistic missiles, uh, classic ballistic missiles, which we know since the 1950s, are the missiles which uh, are under the power of flight de de uh, deliver those. Uh, uh, well, it's called the uh, bus. Basically, it's the thing, so to speak, where you have the number of the mirrors, multiple uh, independent reentry vehicles, which are thrown in the space. And then fly there, accelerate, and then fly less classic ballistic missiles without maneuvering. And that's what uh, used to be basically the main stay of the nuclear deterrence, both in Soviet Union and Russia and United States. Nowadays, everything changed in this respect. Now, we have seen Russia most recently use glide bombs to devastating effect in the past few months. Why are these weapons so effective and why can't Ukraine or in fact their Western benefactors really develop a plan to respond to these types of bombs? Well, um, theoretically, Ukraine had some type of their air defense systems. For example, the later versions which they had, 1980s, uh, uh, for example, of the S-300, and they had some TOR-M1 uh, short-range air defense systems. They theoretically could have intercept at least some of those bombs. But Russia was pretty successful in uh, suppressing uh, uh, air defense of the whatever is left of it in armed forces of Ukraine, including those uh, Western-supplied weapons, such as like NASAMs. They just cannot intercept those uh, gliding bombs. And now, obviously, they are much freer uh, in terms of operating and launching those gliding bombs, plus most of them are beyond the range of what's left of the uh, Ukrainian air defense. So in this particular case, yeah, there, there's very little they can do, you know. They might get lucky shooting one or two maybe, but they will not be able to sustain any kind of their, uh, even mitigating uh, um, counter strikes against those bombs. They will, what is called in military science, leaker. The liquor being the projectile or missile which penetrates the air defense. Uh, Russians have many of those liquors nowadays, precisely because Ukraine uh, air defense was pretty successfully, I would say 90% 90, 90 of it suppressed, annihilated or, you know, taken out of operations, what, what have you. Now, recently, Ukrainian forces claimed to have taken down a Russian Kinjal missile, which is part of Russia's next-gen HSM arsenal. They say they took it down with the U.S. Patriot air defense system. First, can that be true? And is there any sort of anti-missile system that can take down um, an HSM at present? Or, or is there anything um, being developed to counter them? And if so, what sort of capabilities would those things need? The Ukrainian claims are complete hoax. Obviously, Western media immediately started to spread this absolute baloney. No air defense complex currently in arsenal of any NATO country, including the United States, can take Kinshal out. <clears throat> the uh, 
US, we're not talking about even PAC-1, Patriot PAC-1, which is, it was a joke. It was <clears throat> dismal performance in the first Gulf War. But the latest version of the Patriot PAC-3, it employs the main missile, which is MIM-104F, uh, I believe. Its uh, speed is uh, 4.2, Mach 4.2. It's a high supersonic, but not hypersonic missile, which will not simply sustain the G loads, which it needs to intercept, even the uh, Kinshal flying at Mach 10. It's one thing. Secondly, the uh, altitude of this missile, the, so to speak, apart from the range, which it can reach is 20 kilometers. Kinshal flies uh, actually at the uh, at the height of 30 kilometers and then attacks its power, uh, its target vertically down. So United States doesn't have any technology which is capable to intercept something like Kinshal or for that matter slower and less advanced Iskander uh, ballistic missile. So this is, of course, was a hoax, and Mr. Klitschko was <laughs> photographed with the actually the concrete busting bomb bit up and uh, uh, claiming that it is Kinshal. It was debunked already by many military professionals, and obviously, United States. I'm not even talking about Europeans. Is nowhere near to produce anything which can actually mitigate the salvo of the hypersonic missiles and be that Kinshal or Zircon, let alone strategic hypersonic blocks such as the Avangard. This is completely out of the question. And uh, in terms of air defense, United States actually is uh, back behind Russia, not in years, it is in generation. And so the problem here is obviously the primarily uh, media circus and uh, obviously the agenda they're trying to push. No, <clears throat> there is nothing which can stop it unless the missile itself, you know, just breaks down and then that doesn't reach anywhere. But Ukraine didn't shoot anything. In fact, is Ukraine cannot shoot most of any kind of missiles or drones Russia launches there. <clears throat> and here comes the other thing. Uh, in order for you to intercept something like a uh, hypersonic weapon, I actually presented some uh, basic operational uh, and tactical uh, um, calculations in my second book, The Real uh, Revolution in Military Affairs. And um, you have a very bizarre chance, which is very slow, basically uh, uh, non-significant at all. Uh, if you shoot probably very many missiles, which creates some kind of the screen, then theoretically you might somehow get it, but no, you cannot shoot it down purposefully. And there is another thing there, how you wanna develop the firing solution against the target, which most likely you may not even see due to its flying in the uh, cocoon, plasma cocoon, and uh, which is maneuvering. And both, uh, well, actually every single Russian missile is maneuvering on its uh, final terminal approach. And some of them maneuver violently. And so you, there's no way they can intercept it. Yeah, I suspected that was fake news that the uh, Patriot system could take down the Kinjal. Uh, I'm glad you cleared that no. up for us. Now, hypothetically, how would Israel's Iron Dome fare up in that matchup? 
for a simple reason. Uh, Iron Dome is basically designed for an uh, intercept in, in actually quite substantial wholesale quantities of the uh, Hamas and uh, Hezbollah, what is called Katyusha rockets. Those are slow ballistic, uh, you know, uh, targets. And they accelerate to sometimes Mach 1.2, I believe, but mostly most of them are even subsonic. So, and their idea, because they are very easy to track and develop firing solution for something that when you already can see clearly on your radar or any other uh, means of detection and tracking. So, yeah, in terms in modern warfare on the modern battlefield against the modern uh, <clears throat> strike standoff weapons, especially flying with the high supersonic speeds, it's absolutely useless. All right, coming up next, unintended consequences. A multi-decades-old warning comes to fruition. Joe Biden ignores American advice from the past. We'll discuss it when we return with Andre Martianov. Sit tight. The MO will be right back. I'm Rick Sanchez, and I'm here to plead with you. Whatever you do, do not watch my new show. Seriously, why watch something that's so different? Why listen to opinions that you won't get anywhere else? Look, if it pleases you to have the State Department, the CIA, weapons makers, multi-billion dollar corporations choose your facts for you, go ahead. Why change? And whatever you do, don't watch my show. Stay mainstream, because I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable. My show is called Direct Impact. But again, you probably don't want to watch it, because it might just change the way you think. In 1834, France invaded Algeria, and straightaway the French started inhabiting it to strengthen their position. The colonists, known as Pieds-Noirs, took the best land. From day one, the local population was put into an unequal position and was brutally exploited. This caused mass discontent. The people of Algeria began their long-term fight for independence. In 1954, the banner of freedom was raised by the National Liberation Front. A guerrilla war against the occupants broke out. The French tried to suppress the rebellion using cruel measures. Whole villages were wiped out. Acts of torture and executions of civil people, including pregnant women, children, and old people, took place. More than two million people were put into concentration camps. However, these punitive measures didn't help. The Algerian patriots managed to induce France to start peace negotiations. In 1962, Evian Accords were signed putting Algeria on the path towards independence. But this was achieved at a colossal price. Algeria, by rights, is considered to be a country of martyrs. According to the calculations of historians, the French colonists are responsible for the deaths of one and a half million Algerians.
Welcome back to the MO. I'm Manila Chan. So it's not a new idea in U.S. foreign policy circles that America should avoid any posturing that could push then the Soviet Union into alignment with China. Though the USSR is no more, the union between Russia and China seems to be unfolding before our very eyes. Andrei Martinov is back with us. So Andrei, many critics of U.S. foreign policy say the West's un unintended consequence in their actions in supporting Ukraine and, and posturing in Taiwan have now drawn Russia and China into this new alliance and military bloc that could counter U.S. position as a military superpower. We already see this alliance as evidenced by the CSTO, the Collective Security Treaty Organization, uh, with Russia and China obviously anchoring that group. How do you see the Russia-China partnership shaping up in the years to come? Should the collective West be concerned? Uh, we need to understand the United States is not a land superpower. It cannot stand in the conventional war in Europe uh, against Russia, for example. And they know this. Most people in Pentagon who uh, are not for political career, they know that. Uh, a combination of the military power of Russia and China serves only one thing. The neocons primarily who run uh, U.S. Uh, foreign policy today, they still consider China to be the target number one. They thought that they will dispose of Russia really fast, uh, one and a half years ago, but now they need to deal with China. China economically dwarfs the United States. Militarily, however, China is uh, not as uh, established power as Russia in terms of land and in terms of Navy too. And here's where the United States tries to leverage one the last advantages it has. United States has excellent Navy for all of its proper problems and for all of its uh, nearing obsolescence. But when you put it together with the excellent uh, U.S. Navy submarine force, which is much better than Chinese one, you will see immediately why Russia and China, and China especially, sees Russia as very important military ally, because Russia may provide and already is providing China with required technology and operational expertise, which China might need in case the United States wants to unleash the war in the Asia-Pacific region. And that, in this case, well, it should be concerned for obviously those people in the Washington who want to unleash World War III, because economically, United States already is not a competitor in especially Russia-Chinese economic un union or alliance, which already de facto exists. But uh, joining uh, forces uh, uh, militarily, uh, NATO is pipsqueak compared to that. Thing, if, it, if it emerges and looks like the yeah, Russians and Chinese moving uh, in that direction. Now, we hear a lot in the media about how Russia is running out of missiles. Any truth to that? I mean, what is Russia's true production capability and is that set to increase at all? Now, conversely, um, the U.S. and NATO have a backlog of orders to arm Ukraine. Uh, the U.S. cannot seem to meet the demand. Is Russia really going to be in that same position as the U.S.? One of the major miscalculations, strategic miscalculations, which actually denotes 
and it's a sign of the death of the rules-based order, uh, world order of Pax Americana is the fact that United States, and I wrote three books on that, never had a clue about the size of Russian economy. As Mr. Putin stated, Russia produces number of missiles more than whole world combined. And they don't understand how Russian economy works and they don't understand how Russian military industrial complex operates. And Russia outproduces United States in every single, uh, not only United States actually, NATO combined in every single category of their uh, military material. Be them missiles, be them shells, be them tanks, be them what have you. You can take a look at the speed with which Russia uh, renovates and uh, updates its nuclear submarine forces right now and how many ships Russia produces, builds now. And it's astonishing. And there you go. So it's absolute hoax, obviously, as usual. And now they expected Russia to, you know, basically tumble or, you know, crumble within a month or two. They evidently people there don't understand what real economy is. They cannot. Now, any final thoughts or perhaps predictions on how the course of this conflict in Ukraine is going to play out over the next, I don't know, let's say this year? I hate forecasts, obviously. I hate being Cassandra. First, of course, I cannot know, possibly. I don't have enough information. Only people who have information about all that are military political top in Russia, general staff, and those places you cannot even get near around them. But I would say that we are seeing the end of armed forces of Ukraine. Actually, Russia is annihilating, as I speak, third iteration uh, of the arm, uh, Ukrainian army. And um, and if you want to see what is going on, I will uh, um, you know ask people to go back to December 2021 and the Russian so-called ultimatum. Everything there is already stated very clearly what Russia wants to achieve, and it will be it will be the either rolling NATO back to uh, uh, 1997 borders, or which becomes now very. Uh, possible, very probable scenario, disintegration of NATO as such. And uh, when you look at the effects, um, I would say Russia achieved more than they even expected, and it will continue until Russia probably builds the land bridge between uh, Kherson region and Transnistria. And then whatever will be left of Ukraine, if anything, and Russia will be dictating capitulation conditions. That's pretty much it. That's what I'm expecting. Andre Martianov, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Now make sure you check out uh, Andre's stuff at smoothiex12, the number 12.blogspot.com, and check out his newest book called Losing Military Supremacy. Thank you so much, Andre. Oh, thank you. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Modus Operandi, the show that digs deep into foreign policy and current affairs. I'm your host, Manila Chan. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again next time to figure out the MO.